Thank you, Maria. And my wife had one more note for the missionary dinner. There is a sign-up sheet for attendance, also a sign-up sheet for food. And if there are single men or other people that don't like to cook, there are some items that you can just buy in the store and you don't have to cook anything. So there's a little something for everybody. And also on the back shelf, there are uh, annual an annual report from the audio-visual vi ministry and that didn't make it into the bulletin, for, I mean into the uh, annual report. So if you'd like a copy of that, that's on the back shelf. And also, Ann Ritchie dropped off some books and booklets and a whole bunch of CDs, uh, and they're on the back shelf. So if anybody would like to take any of those, take as many as you want. Okay, so let's turn now to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> And let's begin by reading verse, well, let's start in verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4. <coughs> and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to open the word together. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, teach us, Lord, and help us to see things in your word and apply these truths to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at verse 4, and we spent a lot of time looking at who these 24 elders were, and we noted that they appear in heaven, that they are resurrected, they were robed in white garments, they were crowned and seated on 24 thrones. And we also noted that this occurred after the church age was completed, after the rapture of the church, after the resurrection of the church, and after the Bema seat. They're already robed and rewarded. And before the tribulation period, and before the marriage of the Lamb, and before the second coming. So that puts chapters 4 and 5 in that box chronologically, after the church age and before the tribulation period. And then we noted that uh, the 24 elders represented the church, resurrected, rewarded, robed in heaven. And tonight we want to investigate a little further. We'll look at John's main focus was on the throne. And around the throne there were 24 elders. And we want to look tonight at what else was around the throne. When John went through that door into heaven, he was struck immediately by the one seated on the throne. But there were a lot of other creatures there that John describes for us. In verse 5, he begins the description by saying there, were, there was lightning and thunder and voices coming out of the throne. 
And on the throne was seated God the Father, and he's seated there as the sovereign of the universe. Or, in other words, the sovereign creator of all creation. And we looked at what John saw through that door. The one seated on the throne, those that are around the throne, the rainbow above the throne, lightning coming out of the throne. And uh, we see also that the Father was pictured as that white uh, light blazing and flaming up and red light flaming up, just like white and red stones. And so it was kind of a frightful scene. And the audio visual of that, the thunder, the lightning, the voices, the trumpet, it's similar to a storm in heaven that's about to be unleashed on the earth. And there we see in the middle of heaven, right in the very center, the creator who is about to purify his creation. The world had once again become corrupt and full of violence and sin and evil. And now the Lord is going to unleash judgment upon the earth in a period that we know as the tribulation period. And John mentions that it all proceeds from the one seated on the throne. From the throne come all of these judgments throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. So now we want to focus in verse 5, in the middle of the verse, where John says, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And so here we see this fearful-looking throne with thunder and lightning and, and flame. It looks like flames of fire coming out of the throne and voices, and uh, it was just a frightful scene. And now John sees also seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And there was the Father seated on the throne. There were the seven lamps of fire burning. And soon he'll see the Lamb in chapter 5 opening the seal judgments. A very frightful scene. And what John sees here is a change in God's dispensational dealings with mankind. And John uses the language in Revelation chapter 4 that is very much reminiscent of another similar time when the dispensations were changing from the age of promise to the age of law at Mount Sinai. And just for a little comparison, let's turn back to Exodus chapter 19. And here we have the vision of the Lord that Moses sees, not in heaven, not in the temple, but on Mount Sinai. The law is about to be revealed. A new age, a new dispensation is about to begin. So we read in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. So there was a meeting that the people were going to have with the Lord on Mount Sinai. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was, now notice the description here, of the place where God was. And how similar it is to the description of the throne of God in heaven. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord descended in it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. 
and the voice of a trumpet sounded. Long, and it waxed louder and louder, and Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. So here we see the place where God was. It was quaking. There was fire. There was smoke. It was like a furnace. There was the sound of a trumpet. Uh, there were the sound of voices, very similar to what John heard. And then turn in the next chapter, in Exodus chapter 20, and verse 18. And again, notice the similarity to what John saw in Revelation 4, where God was. And all the people saw the thunderings and lightnings and the noise of, a tr of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. They were fearful of this vision of God. And Deuteronomy chapter 4 says that the mountain burned with fire. So the symbolism that we see when the law was being introduced and Moses had a vision of the Lord lifted up above the people in that mountain on Mount Sinai. And what Moses saw, he wrote, he described, and it's very much like what John saw when he was taken in the spirit up to heaven and opened and went through that door into heaven and he saw the throne. And there he saw the lightnings and the thunder and a trumpet and vo loud voices and now we read about fire, seven fires or torches burning around the throne. Now back in Revelation chapter 4, in Exodus what we saw was a change from the dispensation of promise to the age of law. And just to show that God was in this, there was a vision that Moses had that God was on that mountain <clears throat> And it was a fearful thing to be in the presence of God, and God was the one who was giving this law. Now we see in Revelation chapter 4 that the dispensation of law has long been over, and now the church age is over. And so John sees the Lord in heaven. And at this point, there's a change in God's dispensational dealings. The church age, the age of grace, is over. And now God is turning back to where God was when he introduced the age of law. When God introduced law, he was dealing with one nation, the nation of Israel. The church age intervened. And when the age of law was introduced, we see God, there was fire and lightning and smoke, and the mountain shook. And now we see, at the end of the church age, God has now turned his attention to the nation of Israel once again. And Israel is ripe for judgment. In fact, God's attention is, is Israel primarily, but also to the whole world because now the whole world is ripe for judgment. And that's what John sees. But John also sees the church in heaven. And in heaven, all is well with the church. The church is not frantic over what's taking place. It appears that heaven understands that the day has come, judgment is about to fall, but they are in perfect peace because God is there, 
And God is in perfect bliss. He's not flustered. He's not uh, at his wit's end by what's taking place. But on earth, things are about to change. And they're going to change rapidly. When those doors of heaven open and the judgments are, out, are poured out upon the earth, and the whole world, and Israel in particular, is ripe for judgment. The world, because, well, for centuries, millennia, men have convinced themselves that there is no God. <clears throat> and even if there was a God, he would never judge the world. We've never seen God intervene. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's the thinking of man, that, that God isn't going to intervene. But now God is going to intervene. And he is going to judge men. And in a frightening way, human history is about to change forever at this point. And all the earth is going to know that he's the Lord. There'll be no debating. There'll be no shaking their fists at him as if somehow they could deny the existence of God. Today, men scoff. Men shake their fists at God. But that day is coming when God is going to silence the unbelief of wicked men. So back in our passage in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, John sees around the throne there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. So what are these seven lamps of fire burning? Well, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to go very far to discover it. Just continue reading. He says, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the Lord, which are the seven spirits of God. So here John defines for us what that symbol meant, the seven fires, the seven torches, if you will, and they represent the seven spirits of God. Now, I know some of you were thinking, I thought the Bible said there was only one Holy Spirit. You know, the New Testament, the epistles often speak about the Spirit of God. And here John speaks about seven spirits of God. So which is it? Well, one thing we know for sure, the book of, in the book of Revelation, the number seven appears over and over again. And it, I'm not big into numbers and numerology in, in the Bible, but the number seven does appear to have a meaning, especially in the book of Revelation. And it seemed to, seems to speak of fullness or something that is whole or complete. This number appears 54 times in the book of Revelation. And each time the meaning is very similar. It speaks about the wholeness. So when John says he sees the seven spirits of God, in some way he's describing the person of the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Not just one attribute of the Spirit, that he's holy, that he's a Holy Spirit. There are other attributes of the Spirit as well. And so here, John sees the wholeness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit before the throne of God. And so the image of the Spirit of God as lamps burning, it speaks of the Spirit of God as inflamed, enraged. His, also, his sense of justice and holiness has been grieved by what's taking place on earth. 
And he as understands, as does the Father and the Son, that the world is ripe for judgment. Turn to Isaiah chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Seven spirits of God indicate to us a sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah describes him in exactly that way in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. And let's read through this verse. And as we read through it, I'd like to highlight, just with my voice, highlight those seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit, number one, of the Lord, with my voice and my finger, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Two, the spirit of wisdom. Three, he's the spirit of understanding. Four, he's the spirit of counsel. Five, he's the spirit of might. Six, he's the spirit of knowledge. And seven, the fear, he's the spirit of the fear or awesomeness of the Lord. So here, Isaiah describes the Holy Spirit, not as seven individual distinct spirits, but rather he describes that one Holy Spirit in seven different ways, seven different attributes, seven different characteristics of that one spirit. And that's how John is describing him uh, back in Revelation chapter 4. And let's turn back there. At this point, the world has been rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, John tells us, this very same author, in describing the Lord Jesus, John chapters 14, 15, and 16, when the Lord is explaining to John and the other disciples how he is going to be crucified and he's going to leave them, he won't leave them comfortless, but he, he's going to leave them. And in that period, the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting the world of sin and judgment to come. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit today. He has been, throughout the age of grace, he has been convicting men of sin. And the Holy Spirit has also been teaching believers his wisdom and giving understanding and counsel. He's been manifesting his might and his power through the individual lives of believers like you and me. And so the Holy Spirit has been busy all throughout the church age trying to manifest Christ through us. He is the power that enables us to manifest the character of Christ. And what has the world been doing? Spitting in God's face. Shaking their fists at a holy God. And what we see here in heaven is the Holy Spirit is inflamed. He's grieved. He's outraged, just like the Father and the Son at this point, realizing that it's time for judgment. The tribulation period has come. And so we see the Holy Spirit of God seen as seven, a fullness of the Spirit burning, burning in his passion and his 
justice that has been outraged by the sin of men for so many centuries. And notice also one other point in verse uh, 5 where it says the spirit describes the spirit as lamps of fire burning. And there were seven lamps of fire. And this word lamps is lampos in Greek. And this particular word means light or to shine. And it emphasizes the shining of a light or the shining of fire, the brilliance of it or a fire that's burning that can easily be seen. Now normally a lampus has a lampstand with it, but we don't see the lampstand here John sees the Holy Spirit just as the source of light. And there's no lampstand. Usually when men in Bible times, when they were going to light a, a lamp, they had a lampstand, and they would put the source of, of that fire in the, in the container, that either a metal or a clay pot, and they would put the source of light in it. The lampstand didn't shine. It needed that source of light, that fire burning. And here we see that the Holy Spirit is pictured as that light. But we do read about lampstands elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Turn back to chapter 2. Chapter 2. And verse 1. <clears throat> And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now this word translated candlestick is not a candle. Uh, the term means a lantern or a lampstand. It's the vessel, often a clay vessel, that they would put the source of light in that vessel. And so what are the seven candlesticks or these seven containers that John mentions? Well, in chapter 1, John just saw a vision of the glorified Christ. And in chapter 1 and in verse 12, John writes, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks lanterns. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. So in that previous vision, John saw Christ, the Son of Man, walking in the midst of seven candlesticks. And John also interprets that for us. Almost every symbol in Revelation is interpreted for us. And skip down to John chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Here's the mystery unveiled. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so here the candlestick refers to the churches in Revelation. And you know that's how the Apostle Paul described believers. He said, we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessels. Our body is an old clay pot. 
But out of it, there should be a source of light that others can see. The church is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he manifests to others Christ, the light of the world. But in John's vision, back in Revelation chapter 4, we see seven lamps burning, the source of fire, but there's no lampstand. It's not in a vessel, just the light source. And we know that that's interpreted as the Holy Spirit. But there's no mention of the lampstand. And that's because we've already seen earlier the seven churches are the seven lampstands. And the emphasis in Revelation chapters 1 and 2, or 2 and 3, the emphasis there was on the churches. The emphasis in chapters 4 and 5 is not on the churches. What's the emphasis in chapter 4 and 5? What is it? What's the main focus? The throne, the throne of God and the one seated on that throne. And so here we read in chapter 4 and 5, the focus is on God. God the Father seated on the throne, the Holy Spirit represented by those seven torches, those seven sources of light before the throne. And in chapter 5, the Lamb taking the scroll from the Father. So when we get in chapters 4 and 5, the church has already been resurrected. They're in their glorified bodies. They're not in clay, mortal clay pots anymore. Now they're in heaven. And now the Spirit of God is burning like a torch before the throne of God. And the church is seen as the 24 elders, represented by those 24 elders on 24 thrones around the, the throne of God. So these... Symbols are interpreted right in the immediate context of the book. But let's go on and look in verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. We mentioned that earlier. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. I've never seen a creature like that before. In verse 8, And the four beasts each had, a, had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So here's another... Uh, image that probably brought some awe or fear to John as he looked in and he sees these four beasts and they appear before the throne of God. The throne where the creator is seated, sovereignly ruling over his entire creation. And in heaven... We see around the throne sinless creatures on earth, full of sinful creatures that are about to be judged, but in heaven, sinless creatures. We see angels. We see the resurrected, glorified saints of the church age. Creatures seated, uh, worshiping the creator. Now skip down in the same chapter to verse 11. 
in heaven just before the sinful creatures on earth experience the wrath of God in heaven the sinless creatures are chanting to the Creator thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created so here the father is being worshipped as the creator as the sovereign ruler over all of his creation and the one on the throne is described as the one who created all things and it's stated that all of creation was made for his pleasure for the pleasure of the creator and therefore we see around the throne his holy creatures Holy angels are worshiping him, and redeemed and glorified human beings are worshiping him around the throne. So back in verse 6, who are these very unusual-looking beasts? There were four of them, full of eyes before and behind. And note the relationship that these four beasts had to the throne. It says that they were in the midst of the throne. And that's a little difficult to understand how these four creatures were in the midst of the throne. Uh, it just means in the middle of. It could mean in the throne area where the father was seated in that area where perhaps others aren't uh, allowed to come it could be that they were in the middle of that throne area just like the temple on earth had different sections where priests could go and uh, women were forbidden to go in this area and only the high priest could go in this section it could we don't know it could be something like that but they are also described in this verse as being round about the throne now there are only four of them so the only way they could be in the midst of that throne area and round about the throne, and this word round about is uh, the word, it means circle. They were circling the throne. The only way that could be is if there was one before, one behind, and one on each side. So that's where they were. That was their relationship to the throne. They were closer than the other creatures. So what were these beasts? Well, the word beast might be a little misleading in our King James Version. It's not an inaccurate translation. It's just it might be misleading. I think it's a better way to describe it is to define it as a living creature because the word is zoan. Zoe is the word for life. And so they're just described as living living creatures, creatures that God made. There's another word for beast, a wild beast. The Antichrist is called a beast, and others are called a beast, but this, this is not that word for beast. This is zoe, which means life. They are living creatures. And Ezekiel describes similar, uh, very similar creatures in his writings, and, and the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for that was translated living creatures. And here we're told that they are full of eyes. Eyes speak of observation. Eyes speak of intelligence. It speaks of understanding. So here we have 
four creatures close to God, encircling the throne of God, and they are wise creatures. And look in verse 7. They each had a different form. The first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third like the, had the face of a man, the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. So each of the four beasts or living creatures had a different face, a different visage. They looked like different creatures that God made. You know, when, when angels appeared on earth, remember, angels are spirits. They don't have bodies. But when they appeared to men, they appeared in different forms. Sometimes they appeared just like a, a normal man, and you couldn't tell the difference uh, between them and another individual, another man. Sometimes they appeared as a man with that was shining bright like the angels at the, at the tomb. They were shining like light. So they took on different forms, and this is really a different form. And there are all kinds of explanations as to what these are. Some have described them as a description of the four different Gospels. The lion is the, is the, uh, the royal, that's Matthew, that's the lion, is the, the king of the jungle, the king of the uh, animal kingdom. And the second piece is like a calf, that's the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is described as a servant, and a, uh, this would be an oxen. They were the, the most powerful uh, servant creatures that man used in those days. Then the face of a man, uh, Luke described the Lord Jesus and his, and his humanity, and like a flying eagle, they say that John described the Lord and his deity flying above the other creatures. I'm not so sure I buy into that explanation. What we do know is they are descriptions of four different kinds of creatures that the Creator made, and they're all around the throne of God. And so these angels took on a form, one like a man, that's the crown of creation, uh, made in God's image, humankind, and that young oxen, the strongest of the domesticated animals, the lion, the most majestic and uh, powerful of the wild animals, and the eagle, the greatest perhaps of the birds. And so each of these animals described, plus the man, describe a superior kind of creature in their kind, so to speak. But the important thing is that everything is subordinate to the throne in this picture. And that seems to be the main point, that the one seated on the throne is the creator of all, he's the Lord of all creation, and all of creation is in submission to him. And the angels are representing some of that, uh, the animals that God created, beautiful creatures, and including man, the crown of creation. <clears throat> Now turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. And Ezekiel describes, I'm going to have to hurry here, but Ezekiel describes what I, my view is that Ezekiel is describing the same creatures that John described, even though they have a slightly different description or a different appearance to Ezekiel in Ezekiel's day. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 5. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 5. In 
here, it's Ezekiel writes, <laughs> and out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four creatures, out of the midst where God was on his traveling throne, if you will, his chariot throne, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, same number, same description, living ones, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one, each one of them, had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had hands of a man under their wings, John doesn't say anything about that, on their four sides. And they had their faces and their wings, and their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went, and they went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they had and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they also had the face of an eagle. So each one of the angels that John saw had four faces, uh, one on each side, and each face was different. But they were the same creatures that John describes in Revelation. And so what, to kind of condense this, Ezekiel is describing the throne of God, not in heaven, but rather he's describing the chariot throne of God. And these cherubim creatures, Ezekiel describes these four, four living creatures as cherubim, and they were the transportation for God when he moved in the heavens. And here we see a vision of the Lord, and he tells us in verse 28 of that chapter that this was a vision of the glory of God seated on his throne and being transported by these, cher by these uh, cherubim. So the four creatures in Ezekiel's vision were similar in many ways to John's vision, but they were also different. John's creatures had one face, and each creature had, uh, and there were four creatures, and they had the same, uh, one was the, that of an eagle, an ox, a calf, and a man. But in Ezekiel's four creatures, each one of them had four faces, the same faces, but each one had four. And also, John mentioned that they had six wings and they were full of eyes. Ezekiel gives us many more details about what these cherubim looked like, about other, uh, the wings and the hands under the wings and their legs, many more details. John sees the creatures in the midst of the throne of God, and Ezekiel sees these creatures coming out of the midst thereof. So that was exactly the same. And John sees the throne, the Lord on his throne, his eternal throne in heaven, while Ezekiel was describing that chariot of God, where he was being transported by these cherubim and eventually into the temple and out. So my view is, for what it's worth, that these visions, these three visions, in Ezekiel chapter 1, in Ezekiel chapter 10, when the glory departs from the temple, we have the same vision, the same creatures uh, leaving the temple. So we have Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, and we have Revelation chapter 4. And so here are these three different visions of the Lord, and there are four creatures in each that have the same faces, but a different 
uh, representation of those four faces. And Ezekiel describes those living creatures that he saw in chapter 10 as cherubim. So here I think we have, when you compare scripture with scripture, we have a pretty good indication that these creatures were angelic creatures, the 24 elders representing the church, but these four uh, cherubim were specially appointed angels. And in the Old Testament, the cherubim had a very special purpose and function. When God cast man out of the Garden of Eden, he protected the, his holiness by putting cherubim at the east of the garden with flaming swords to keep Adam out. So cherubim protected the holiness of God in the temple and also in the tabernacle. In the curtains between uh, the, into the most holy place, there were cherubim that were woven into that fabric. And inside the most holy place, above the Ark of the Covenant, there were two massive statues of gold cherubim looking over the place where God said he would dwell. And so these angels have very special purpose in God's plan and program. They protect his holiness. And so when John sees in the vision, when he sees that this is a different time, thousands of years later, John sees the throne and he sees four beasts with eyes before and behind, just like Ezekiel described them, eyes all around. And he also sees them as living creatures with those unusual faces. Another layer to the depth of the awesomeness of the vision that John saw around the throne. And we'll look a little later, maybe next time, we'll look at how these angels and ch the church-age saints are all worshiping the Lord together. Creatures. Angels are creatures. We're creatures. Ox are creatures. Uh, eagles are creatures. All creation gives glory to God. And that's what John sees in Revelation chapter 4. He's taken inside that door into heaven. He sees the throne, and there's a glassy sea around it. It's perfectly calm. And there's a, 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 an emerald rainbow above the throne, and there are flames of fire coming out and lightning, and it's a fearful thing. Judgment is about to fall upon the earth. And there are four flames burning, torches burning, representing the Holy Spirit who is outraged and is about to pour out judgments upon the earth. And there he sees 24 elders representing us in heaven, glorified, worshiping the Lord. And he also sees angelic creatures represented by, uh, 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 there are four literal cherubim, there may have been others, and we'll see there are myriads of angels in heaven in that throng, around the throne. It is an awesome scene. And so here we see some very unusual symbols but don't be afraid of the unusual symbols in the book of Revelation. Just keep reading or look in the chapter before that. Virtually every symbol is defined for us in the book of Revelation or in Daniel or Ezekiel or Genesis. So there's a, a shortened version of how to study prophecy. <laughs> Read the Bible. 
And we're going to have to close in prayer at this point. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this awesome scene in heaven. And Lord, it's uh, humbling to think that one day we will be there around your throne, praising you for your holiness. And Lord, we just thank you that we can now represent you. We pray, Lord, that these little glimpses into heaven will not just be to satisfy our curiosity, Lord, but that it might be an impetus for us to live a godly life and to tell others about Christ, that they might avoid that judgment that will be poured out upon the earth. And Lord, it's, it could be so very soon. Help us, Lord, to be your faithful witnesses, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's... Turn in our hymn.